Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to The Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and this week I'm joined by two stellar Times columnists, Rachel Sylvester and Matthew Paris, and also in the week where the Greek crisis has been hogging the headlines by our economics editor, Philip Aldrich. Here are our three topics for the week. Michael Gove once said the government was divided in its approach to terrorism between those who wanted to shoot the extremist crocodiles as they neared the boat and those who thought it was also necessary to drain the swamp. David Cameron tried waving his rifle around, but this week he's committing the government to a swamp-draining campaign, putting himself at the head of a generational struggle to defeat Islamist ideology as well as to prevent terrorist attacks. But is it right for politicians to try to control what people think as well as what they do? This is an existential moment for the Eurozone as a whole, not just Greece. It is also a test of the IMF. Do the global institutions cut the country adrift or do they scrap their dogmatic insistence on arbitrary rules like the IMF's 120% debt sustainability ratio and make their relatively small concessions needed to preserve the euro? Greece is indisputably in the wrong, but so to a lesser degree were the institutions that first welcomed it to the club and then failed to abide by their own rules in the original rescue. Common sense needs to prevail, a new bailout must be agreed with debt restructuring. What's this about Boris Johnson liking Dominic Cummings's plan for two referendums on Europe, one on the principle of leaving and the second after terms have been agreed? It's madness. Once we've decided to leave, what incentive would our European partners have to fashion an attractive package for our departure? We'd end up with a no to staying, probably followed by a no to leaving. A rare moment of agreement between us, Matthew, but we'll come back... <laughs> it won't to, last, Tim. <laughs> we'll come back to your topic at the end of our discussion. Uh, let's begin, Rachel Sylvester, with the story that even bigger than Greece, um, for the moment at least, has been dominating uh, the news coverage, the awful aftermath of the shooting in Tunisia. You wrote about this in your Tuesday column for The Times, and I sense quite a bit of nervousness from you about attempts to um, control or influence what people are saying in Britain. Is that right? Well, actually, I think um, David Cameron has decided that you can't just deal with the kind of outcome, if you like. You have to deal with the symptoms of the problem. And I think he's right, in fact, that you have to kind of drain the swamp, as Michael Gove put it. You have to deal with the kind of underlying ideology that's driving the terrorism rather than just get introducing ever more draconian kind of anti-terror security measures mm. which could in fact just increase the sense of grievance the problem is whether or not it's possible to do it and how mm. you go about it um, and also there is a sort of free speech issue you know can you really control what people are saying in their homes on internet websites mm. chat rooms you know um, it's very very difficult to do but I think unless the government and society, it may not be something that the government or the Prime Minister can do, but unless society can create this sense of a British identity that people want to sign up to, so they don't feel driven to this extremist ideology, which does seem to be leading to terrorism. You know, when you've got teenagers in their bedrooms being radicalised and ending up going mm. out to Syria, families taking young children into war zones, it is an extraordinary situation and, and something, you know, the, something does need to change. Well, a lot of, and you, you draw comparisons in your piece, a lot of the kind of rhetoric 
that David Cameron's using reminds us of something, the rhetoric that Tony Blair was using 10 years ago, although it's notably less specific in the well, measures that he's yeah. proposing. But you could argue it both ways, couldn't you? You could think 10 years on and we haven't moved forward in the sense that we have all these British people being radicalised and going off to Syria. But you could also say we haven't had a repeat incident of 7-7. Seven, seven. So there's a case for not being too anxious about this problem and thinking maybe some of the things we're doing are working, as well as a case for worrying about radicalisation becoming more of a problem. What I think is interesting, the difference between Tony Blair and David Cameron, when Tony Blair after 7-7, which is almost 10 years yes. to the day, next, well, it's next week, um, he said, you know, the rules of the game have changed. He introduced all kinds of draconian measures that he's tried Although to do. Although a lot the of them 90, didn't get passed. Well, exactly, yeah. 90 days detention without trial, which got blocked. He had to water down. Various other ones had to be watered down. Whereas what David Cameron is doing is both kind of more ambitious and more profound, if you like, but also possibly less controversial legislatively, is to try and fight a battle of ideas and kind of take on the ideology. And I, I don't think it's actually any less con controversial, but it's um, it's a different kind of approach. It's sort of dealing with the, 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 the kind of underlying cause rather mm. than just the outcome. Do you, Matthew Paris. There are more than two million Muslims in Britain, a few hundred over a period of years About now. About three, three million, I think. Isn't I think it, it is, yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Mm. Uh, and just a few hundred over a period of years have, uh, have gone off on, on some harebrained scheme to, to join ISIS. Uh, I'd, it's important not to big the problem up and make it seem a bigger threat than it is that might just make it interesting to young people because you've written before you have worried publicly matthew about what you think is hostility to muslim people from certain sections yes. of society and um you would worry that that could only escalate in the aftermath of I thought, outrages I thought, like I thought last david week. cameron's speech the other day was a bit over the top about you know that muslims have got to speak out. How, how do they speak out? I expect all over Britain Muslims are expressing horror at what has happened. But the idea that they could rise up with one voice, or any group in Britain could rise up with one voice and speak out, I, it seems a little odd to me. So you, you're with Saeed Avasi, formerly David Cameron's own community. Yes, to a degree. Uh, Rachel didn't quite answer my question, Phil Aldrich, um, about whether this problem is being contained in, in, in some way. The idea of whether actually after a decade or so of these counter-extremism measures, you know, we haven't had a repeat incident. What Matthew says, only a few hundred British Muslims are involved in this. Or actually, is there a greater danger of complacency and because we have these, if you look at public attitudes, a lot of British Muslims, they are, um, you know, 10% often express some sympathy for some of these extremist organisations. Well, the, I mean, I, I'd, I'd have thought this, what's, the security forces certainly seem to be doing a good job of containing the threats which arise behind the scenes. So I'm sure there's more going on that we aren't fully aware yeah. of. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in, in agreement with Matthew in that it, it's it's obviously a minority uh, issue in in the Muslim community. But, I mean, broader, I, I guess, you could even bring it back to the economy in terms of, you know, there is there are certain sectors of society, whether they're Muslims or, or not, which feel a sense of uh, lack of opportunity or abandonment, you know, if, if things are not working for them. And then, mm. you know, uh, you get, uh, you know, radical, uh, radicalisation becomes an exciting 
and excitement in young people's lives. I, although, although a lot of extremists, the evidence is a lot of them are more middle class, that they're sort of semi-educated or even educated, and it's not always uh, economic grievance that, that motivates them. It is a genuine radicalization. Mm. Is it so very different from what made us put Che Guevara posters up in our bedrooms when we were students? Uh, Some of us didn't put uh, Che Guevara <laughs> posters up. In our, I'm afraid I had Margaret Thatcher posters <laughs> up on my wall, Matthew. <laughs> I think it's quite important that, that this isn't just an issue about Islam or Muslims. Mm. So I thought the story about the Jewish community that was saying women couldn't drive was as shocking in its way as the, you know, um, people going off to um, really? Syria. Not, yes, uh, I think... Uh, if, as if objectionable as it was, it wasn't as shocking on the same level, surely. Well, obviously it's not a sort of terrorist thing, but it's yeah. it's about values, and I think if you're saying women aren't equal, um, whether you're Muslim or Jewish, that's equally bad. Maybe it's wrong to draw a comparison with going to Syria, but mm. in terms of values, I think it is right that this country says that everybody should be equal. Um, in terms of David Cameron saying we need a full-spectrum response it sounds sounds a grand conception what sort of things should we be looking for because at the moment we're in the heat of the moment and politicians say dramatic things do you get a sense you you ended your column with sort of quite a dramatic this could be defining his premiership in some way do you think in over the next three to six months we'll see a very different attitude to saudi arabia and qatar for example nations that well there's uh, a discussion extremism yeah, in there's a lots discussion of about that within the cabinet and some people are saying the government should stand up to countries like that although you know there's huge commercial reasons why the government never has mm. um, but I think it's it's also within um, public services so for example in schools on um, Tuesday the government sent out guidance to schools saying you know telling them to look out for extremism or signs of extremism and things putting it on a par with paedophile grooming mm. online um, they talked about it as a safeguarding issue to make sure teenagers weren't um, exposed to all yet another responsibility for, for the teachers. Yes, <laughs> but then you can see something they've got something coming. I'm sure on prisons where there's been a program, you know, lots of radicalisation going yeah. on. Perhaps more, you know, on the police where there've been these reports of communities were operating sort of parallel justice systems. So it's just sort of when he talks about full spectrum, I think it's almost like each area of life mm. trying to sort of make clear where the boundaries are if you like and what common common ground there should be we are we are rather in the media suckers for the downing street grid they like to have announcements the kind of thing that goes down well in the daily mail there are, often isn't a great deal of follow-up i shouldn't think there will be this time and <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a budget phil in about a week or or so do you think this will increase pressure on the chancellor perhaps to find a little bit more money for the security services maybe even a little bit more money for the defense some people think we need more special forces capability for example to go after terrorist groups in some of these these nations i, I can imagine it puts pressure on him but i can't imagine him finding the, the money at the at the moment given given his commitments and apparent desire to cut the top rate of tax and the cuts he's got to administer it everywhere and hit yeah. his fiscal rules, which will probably be harder to hit than they were in the March budget. So, yeah, um, yeah pressure on, but delivery, I doubt, I doubt he'll find any money for them. Just on that, before we go on to Greece, um, Matthew Paris, this cutting the top rate of tax, it caused George Osborne a lot of trouble in the last parliament, but um, he's, conspicuously he didn't rule it out. 
during the general election campaign. He looked, ruled out lots and lots of other tax changes. He didn't rule out this. It's clearly something he wants to do. Would, would you do it if you were in his shoes? I wouldn't do it this year, no. Um, Surely if it's an unpopular I, measure, get it out of the way. This is the year to do it. Uh, I would, uh, on the whole, I'm steady as she goes. It, I, like, like George Osborne, it would be my aim to bring the top rate of tax down, right down, even below 40%. But in a year in which he will also be announcing all kinds of cuts to public spending, and I, so, you know, it may sound a rather boring view, but I think I'd steer clear of another, another gift for the rich. Caution from your corner. One place where there doesn't seem to be much caution, uh, Phil Aldrich, is in the Greek government. They um, have been... Uh, playing this game theory um, with the European Union and supposedly they knew what they were doing. It doesn't quite look like it now. Will, will, will Greece leave the Eurozone at the end of all this? What's your, what's your bet? My bet is that they, that they won't, is that, they, is that the Europeans will find an accommodation for them. There's, too much, there's just so much skin in the game that the Germans and the others have here. You know, there's, If you include the ECB... Uh, funding to the Greek banks. The, the, the European system has got, the ta European taxpayers have got um, over 300 billion euros invested in Greece. And if they, if they leave the euro and, and convert to the drachma, they're, they're, they're not going to get half of that back. I mean, and that's a hard sell that for Merkel or whoever to um, take to their people that they deliberately refuse to accept because they've got quite it's close. It's a hard sell to give them more money though as well, isn't it? Well, it's, it's a hard sell to lose money. Because it's not giving them much more money. It's giving them the money to replace. So the IMF is, and the Euro, Europeans will be giving them money so that they can pay the IMF and the Europeans mm. back. Um, this is the sort of insanity of this kind of uh, merry-go-round that, that, that we've got to where the uh, Greece is all is 80% funded by the uh, European taxpayers and the IMF mm. um, and if if you cut it adrift now you're not going to get that money back or you or you keep them hit in try and find an accommodation try and get growth going again and and basically recycle money to Greece which it then puts gives back to you largely I mean there's very few private creditors there and the credit private creditors don't start to get paid back until 2017 anyway mm -hmm. the what the one institution that is getting paid back properly is the IMF the Europeans aren't getting paid back the IMF and the ECB the European uh, taxpayers through the bailout funds aren't getting paid back till 2020 mm -hmm. so I mean it seems a, a sort of in, insane uh, adherence to a set of rules which were broken in the first bailout but are now being enforced with some kind of... So you, you're dogma. sounding more cross and disappointed in a way with the the European authorities, the Troika, the central bank, the political leaders, well, the I, IMF, I, I think than the, with the, I think the, the Greek Greeks, government. I th well, there was... The Greeks were were basically slightly sacrificed for the sake of the eurozone in the original bailout. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and Dominic Strauss Kahn did a blog just this week. Um, uh, Dominic Strauss Kahn, he used the to be the IMF, IMF uh, managing chief, director. Yes. Yeah, uh, just this week, effectively admitting that they needed to they needed to bail Greece out to rescue the euro. Uh, so there is, I mean, th there's a responsibility on both sides. I mean, I I, I think Syriza obviously are behaving fairly abominably in in that they could be. Uh, they could be making further concessions to to get closer to to Europe, but they've they've given a hell of a lot of ground compared to where they started from. But it's it's but they're just proposing um, tax rises that no one thinks they'll ever implement. Unless isn't it fair for the IMF and Europe to say if you're not willing to cut 
the spending, which is your principal problem, we're not convinced you are going to reform. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you, they they can do that because if you're a if you're a lender and you don't like the terms that the borrower is is um, saying that they they want, then you don't have to lend to them. But um, you know, if if, the, if if you do believe that there should be some democratic principles, Syriza was voted in. Syriza wants to do it this way. Uh, the principle has always been, and it happened in Cyprus as well, that um, for when there was a Cyprus bailout, that the the Europeans say you need to do this, and how you do it is up to you. And Syriza mm-hmm. is saying this is how we're going to do it. The question is, will they actually be able to to deliver that? In a in a way, maybe they should be given given the opportunity to, to, to try and do it. But Philip, aren't you saying, really, just that, that, that the money isn't there to pay back uh, these debts? It doesn't especially matter whether either Greece defaults and totters out of the euro or whether Greece stays in the euro and we, as you put it, give them the money so that they can pay us back. Either way, we're not going to be paid. So what, why should the... Why should the Europeans mind too much which of those outcomes uh, occurs. Well, because, I mean, uh, uh, there has to be debt restructuring, absolutely. Mm. They, they have to write down the debt if they stay in the euro or if they or if they get out of the euro. I mean, they've already written off a lot in the 2012 extension of the bailout. If they, if they leave the euro, the Europeans will get less money back than if they stay a in. A lot less? I think substantially less. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a proper, it'll be a proper but, chaos in in but, Greece and the and the yeah. It'll be but won't the lesson be to Portugal and Ireland and to less extent Spain that you know there are consequences for not obeying the rules in the sense that Greece will be the sacrificial example to the rest of the eurozone that actually you can um, behave in such a way that causes chaos that ultimately Europe does stick by some rules. Because the Spanish government certainly don't want to give any encouragement to, to Podemos, Podemos yeah. that, that that Podemos could you know flourish in the same way that Teresa. Well, there's, there's kind of this um, there's there's two is- issues there. There is there is this sort of moral hazard issue of letting Greece go, and then that yeah. sets a precedent for the other European nations. But then if you do let Greece go, and if and no one knows quite what will happen, but they could convert to the drachma, they'd have a horrific couple of years, and no one disputes that. But then they could get back, find their feet again. And you know, Hans Vernersen, who's a who's a major German auto liberal economist, he reckons they should go out, re-denominate, come back into the eurozone at a lower level. And if you do that, then you've got this this sort of porous currency where people can just leave whenever they get in trouble mm-hmm. and come back in, or they can leave and actually then stand up uh, and and maybe recover if 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 Greece does manage to recover. And that that sets an example to Podemos, maybe not in the short term, but in the longer term, that the, the whole euro project should then start could then start crum- crumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, because others could leave if they ever get into trouble. They know that there's an exit mechanism there. So then, you know, so there is a trying to hold it together is 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 fundamental to the sort of political ideology mm. backing. And I mean, Germany clearly wanted Greece to become more German because that was the whole principle of the of the euro. I mean, to make the the whole of Europe sort of economically sounder. If they leave, there's less chance that they they will, frankly. Um, uh, no chance if they leave. How does this affect the British debate, um, Rachel? Because um, Ed Conway wrote a column in Tuesday's Times basically saying we're seeing the reassertion of the nation state, um, that Greece is saying we're not just going to be 
pushed around by the European model. We're going to assert a special Greek set of um, demands. In a way, you could say that would be good for Britain's position, reasserting its special identity in Europe. But the alternative is, I suspect, perhaps we will worry more about the insecurity in Europe at the moment and maybe afraid of insecurity. We won't want to rock the boat in our renegotiations. Do you have a sense of how it might play? Well, there's a sort us? of Lady Bracknell point, you know, it would look incredibly careless to lose two countries. <laughs> from the, um, and I think that what David Cameron's sort of slightly calculating is that if Greece does leave, then it, he could strike a tougher bargain because the rest of the uh, uh, European countries wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to lose Britain as well. But I think you're right that it also just exposes the, the kind of fragility of the whole thing and it makes you think this is a dangerous game to play and once you start sort of messing around with things, what, what are the consequences? And I think if in a... We'll come on to this probably, but in a referendum that's going to be about risk mm. um, versus stability, how much can David Cameron kind of play around with Cause, cause Britain's we saw, membership? We, we saw at the summit last week a huge row about quite a limited sharing of immigrants yeah. from the tragedies in the in the Mediterranean. I thought um, that was fascinating that summit because it was there were these huge things going on, you know, the Greek crisis, the migrant crisis, subsequently the Tunisian attacks, and there was David Cameron if you like, like the, you know, the house was burning down and he was there like the sort of teenager demanding a new game for his Xbox. Well, <laughs> you know, the the house was burning down, the garden was on fire, the whole thing was collapsing and it just looked rather you know, they must just think, what on earth is he playing it, at? It makes it harder for him to get the speedy renegotiation he wants, doesn't Completely, it? If, if European yeah. leaders are just so preoccupied with these, as you say, firefighting measures, exactly. the idea of him getting an early referendum becomes harder if he can't get the attention of Definitely. the no, unit. No? Maybe European leaders will think, oh, for God's sake, quit, just give him whatever it is he wants. Yeah. Get that one out of the way while we it's sort the, out the you, really the big British things. The British problem might be the easy problem in yeah, that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is just a, a theory... Uh, which I'd like to float. I think that Syriza has wanted it to turn out like this, that what Syriza wants to do is to bounce the Greek electorate out of the European Union. The Greek electorate want to stay in the Eurozone and want to stay in the uh, EU. Uh, Syriza, I, I think, never has. They, they couldn't if they're truly the left-wing party that they think they are. So I, I think they're trying to so manoeuvre things that the Greek people take a decision that the Greek people didn't think they wanted to take. Mm. Yeah, so, de definitely you can consider that a, a conspiracy as, as, as very real. I, I was mm. thinking exactly the same. That mm. Obviously, if they get they get out of Greece, then there's, it's, going, it's more likely that it'll end up being a sort of Marxist yeah. state. I mean, you look at what happened in Argentina after Argentina missed a payment on the IMF and they were having their, their problems back at the beginning of... Uh, the millennium so um, yeah it's uh, it's definitely it no, may be a, a horrible game plan none of you holidaying in Greece this uh, summer <laughs> not, no I was thinking of buying an island don't buy one yet you might, uh, good let's move on finally and perhaps a little bit briefly because time is short to your topic um, Matthew well, I think Boris we can... Johnson's on manoeuvres again and you're not quite convinced by his manoeuvres no I think we can be fairly brief because these manoeuvres are completely it's mad as a snake. Uh, Dominic Cummings is, is the person that got uh, Michael Gove into such trouble as his special advisor, constantly um, stirring against the Prime Minister and others. Dominic Cummings is a very, very 
intelligent person, but he's come up with a, an idea that's too clever by half, which is that we should have a vote on whether to leave the, 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 the European Union in principle. And then if we vote to leave the European Union in principle, then that the British government would have to have a negotiation and then we would have a, a vote on the result of the negotiation. And Boris Johnson seems to have been stirring over last weekend with, with the suggestion that he likes that idea. It's absolutely crazy. We would have nothing, no negotiating chips left if the British people had said we want in principle to leave the European Union. What incentive is there for our European partners to, to ease the terms and, uh, and, 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 and make it easier for us? No, they'll, they'll, they'll say, right, go, you know, you can't have anything. And then, of course, we'll have another referendum and we'll vote not to leave the European <laughs> Union. We'll be stuck in limbo. I thought it was a really interesting sign of weakness, actually, by the out camp that they they are worried about the referendum being seen as basically the safe versus the risky mm. option yes. and at the moment Cameron is it's very easy for him to position the status quo as the safe option and leaving as the kind of risk so what Dominic Cummings very explicitly in his yes. blog he said he we've got to take the risk out of voting no um, and that's so that's his aim is to sort of have a but it would be I can't see Cameron ever in a million years agreeing to this plan because because for exactly the same reason he wants to pile all the risk onto voting no yeah but there would still be massive business risk as well. if you if you voted yeah. no in principle what would the business community do they wouldn't mm. put any investment in this country whatsoever yeah. none of the Land Rover Jaguars would would start building anything although new although over the last the last couple of years there's been record uh, international investment into the UK so you could say it was two years ago that David Cameron made his Bloomberg speech promising this referendum business hasn't been put off so far at least no they put it up there as the thing they're they're most worried about endlessly um but it's obviously it's not something which they think is going to happen yet and it isn't it isn't close enough to mm. happen but if you did say no then it's real then isn't it even oh, if it yeah. is in principle yeah. and what did you think um phil aldrich about the intervention by the business secretary sasha javid he went to the cbi and said Will you stop saying we should stay in, Britain should stay in Europe regardless because you're undermining the Prime Minister's renegotiating position? It's, it seemed almost to me to be like a criticism of the Prime Minister as well because the Prime Minister's not exactly going in threatening to leave. The, the CBI is supposed to be apolitical, I suppose, which is what his point would have been. But And they've come out very strongly on the side of um, uh, of staying in the euro. As, uh, as they came out strongly in favour of joining the euro... Yes. 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, they've definitely made mistakes in the past. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't think... I, I think having an opinion because you've taken a judgment on the sort of economic or business interests of your group of members doesn't make you political. So, uh, I mean, if, if, if the CBI membership doesn't want to stay in the euro, the CBI should, should speak out, so... Excellent. Well, we'll we'll have to finish there, but thank you all very much. Phil Aldrich, Rachel Sylvester, Matthew Paris, and Tony Kibbles, who's been standing in for Dave Maguire producing um, this podcast. And for those of you who are Times subscribers, please do go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, where a number of the articles that we've been discussing today will be posted so you can enjoy some further reading, including Matthew's piece last Saturday, in which he made lots of criticisms of the European Union, but decided they thought he wanted to stay in after all. Mm, it depends. I'm not completely sure. Not completely sure. Go. You sound like you're a wavering voter, but you're going to stay stum on the subject for a few months. Yeah, also people are bored with that. it, don't you think? Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to resist the temptation. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.